Okay, I've asked um, Brother Fred here to, to just open this with a prayer, and he's also going to be joining me with this form. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we pause to invite you to be our teacher this morning in this forum. We recognize that there is forces in our world that would draw us away from you. And the forces of legalism and religious behavior are some things that the enemy has used throughout the centuries, even in the early church, to draw your people away from a personal relationship with you and a life walking in the Spirit and into a life of oppression and fear at times. And Father, we pray that this morning your Holy Spirit would be the one that would illuminate the Scriptures, the principles that are shared, And Father, that it would not be the the minds of men, but rather your will, your thoughts, your Father's heart that would be shared this morning. The needs are all around us, of us to be focusing on the things that are the weightier matters. And Father, we pray that you would give us insight this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The views and opinions in this next demonstration are not necessarily in keeping with the participants. Good luck. All right. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, This morning we have with us uh, two brothers who love the Lord and yet have differences on an important topic of Bible translations. And we will give each of these brothers an opportunity to share their thoughts on this topic and uh, how these differences uh, have come about and and just uh, what they feel the solutions are. All right. You said um, uh, a discussion on Bible translation? King James Version. Thank you all for coming. (laughs) Wait, 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 David. I don't know I'll, what you're thinking. It's you know, not that simple. I'll give you a chance. Listen, you know, I, I'd like the King James Version of the Bible. Don't get me wrong. But there's just so much more out there. There's a lot of new information that's come out. Why would we stick with the King James Version of the Bible? We have rules. And those rules state that, um, I don't remember most of them, but I'm sure there are rules that say the King James Version is a standard. It's what we've always grown up with. And the rule in the church is King James. But how, how do you, you take something that was written 400 years ago in a language that we barely understand today and, and call it a standard? There's just so much more out there. There's other translations, many other and translations, other volumes. I mean, I, I, just, I'm, I just don't see this. I, I'm just open to more. There are many translations. And the translation you showed me last week that you found at the bus stop from a Joseph Smith, and, and you just said, this will be great. Let's just use this. And I said, does it say King James Version on it? And you said, no. And to be honest, I think that you are speaking a little bit like the singles basketball team. No rules. <laughs> well, whatever goes. 
Dave, there's just so much more you can get from others. And Why not open the door? There's a lot more wisdom in this world than existed Let 400 years ago. Let me understand if I'm hearing this right. You're suggesting there's a rule, King James only, never any supplementary translation if you're stuck on understanding something, never use something beside it, King James only, always, forever. Think of the children. 200 years from now, still King James. Think of the children. When they, okay. when they memorize their Bible verses, and it's Leah against Michaela, and she uses, Leah uses a thee, and she uses a, and Michaela uses a thou. Oh. Or a thee, and a, and a you. you. <laughs> Help me out here, I need the support. And there's a thee, and a thou, and a you, and who wins? Okay, and, and Dan, you're saying um, any translation doesn't matter? Absolutely. No discernment? Where's the role of the Holy Spirit? You've got to be open. <laughs> totally open. Anything goes. Anything goes. Wait a minute. It's pretty clear to me that, and I, I really hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying this, both of you are wrong. That It cannot be that if you're not even using the Holy Spirit as a guide here, before King James, they didn't have that to use. Other languages, Spanish, German, they don't have King James. Anything goes will get you into trouble. The Holy Spirit needs to be there to be the checks and the balances. There is something that we need to turn to in Scripture to understand these principles. And I think... Uh, this makes it pretty clear that this is the introduction to our forum. Okay. Clearly, our, our forum is not about Bible translation. Up a little higher. How's this? Okay. Clearly our forum this morning is not about Bible translation any more than it's about any individual legalistic issue. We don't want to get drawn into that this morning. That uh, will take us off into tangents that we don't have time to discuss and I think would be very unfruitful. But I do want to talk about this very important issue. And, and as a, a further introduction to this, I want you to to really understand that this battle is not as, as Dave and I portrayed it here. This is a spiritual battle. And we often make this mistake. We, we get into something about um, uh, a rule or an ordinance or, or just something that we have contention with our brother and we feel like that battle is between him and I or him and her or her and I or, or sister to sister. It's not. Our battle that we fight is a spiritual battle, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this dark world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to remember that as we go through this form. The goal of this form, again, is not to dig into issues, and, and it's going to be very difficult for me to not wander into them a little bit. Um, we will need that just to underscore some of what we're talking about, but, but it's to understand in a more general way how legalism and religious behavior 
affects our relationship with God? How does it displease God? We want to bring a few uh, examples of, of uh, legalism in the early church because this is not a new problem. As Fred mentioned in his prayer, this is something that's been around right from the early church. What do we do when the Bible's unclear about an issue? There are certain things in the Bible that are very clear as far as uh, sins of immorality and conduct. There's very clear, the Bible's very clear on this issue. But there's a lot of things in the Bible, like Bible translation, obviously, that the Bible's not clear about. Are there too many rules or not enough rules? Can some rules distract us from God's work? Some rules or practices are changing. And I mentioned that into my introduction in the auditorium this morning, and I, and I see that some are wanting more change, and others are just so afraid of change. Is, are those rules and practices changing right or wrong? And finally, is God the, mater, motiva- is God the motivator for our religious behavior, or is it man? And, and I find myself included that I'm quite often making decisions about how I act and what I do and what I wear and where I go to please man and not God. Let's look at a few examples in the New Testament that, that illustrate how Jesus felt and, and how um, Paul had felt about, about legalistic tendencies. And this is, this is coming from an example that that uh, Jesus was being mocked or, or, or challenged by the scribes, saying, asking, why are your disciples not washing their hands, uh, obeying the tradition, as they put it, uh, of washing their hands? And he said, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He knew their heart was far from them. They were just focusing on the tradition and had, had really no other reason than that to, to bring this complaint to Jesus. In Luke 13, 10 to 16, it talks about the crippled woman. And, and there was a sermon that we had uh, three or four weeks ago back in Kitchener that really struck me. Brother Frank Balser preached this sermon, and he, he talked about this woman that was crippled over uh, or he, he brought the scripture out that, that talks about this woman being crippled over and, and, and in a state for 18 years where she couldn't straighten up. And, and really the sermon wasn't so much about, about the, what I'm going to talk about. It was about liberation from that. This woman was finally liberated after 18 years of being crippled over. And yet at the end of that uh, scripture, it's clear that the, the uh, leader of the synagogue said um, to Jesus here, that why do you heal on the Sabbath? And, and I sat in that sermon, and I, and I you know, the, this form was kind of still bouncing around in my head as it has been for, for quite some time, and I thought, wow, isn't that a blatant example of how absurd that should be? Here's a woman that was freed from a sickness, an illness of 18 years, and here comes this guy and says, why did you do that on a Sunday? It just, it just really struck me as being absurd, and then Immediately following that thought, I thought, how much are we like that today as well? And in what ways are we like that? Well, let's talk a little bit about laws and rules, and I, and I think it's important to understand where they fit, because I'm not here this morning to tell you that let's get rid of the rules or the, the position that I was taking here. Let anything goes. And we could ask our, our deans here if, if they would uh, get rid of the rules, what kind of chaos we have. We have, we have good rules here, and they're still, 
an element of chaos. We need the rules. But one of the things that strikes me is we don't like to live in a gray world. We like things black and white. I'm that way. I like order. Uh, I like things uh, following a certain um, predictable pattern in my life. You know, even simple things. You know, I, I, when, I, when I ask somebody, uh, you know, do you want this or do you want that? You know, Lydia, do you want the bottom of the bagel or the top? You know, oh, whatever. Oh, that drives me crazy. <laughs> Give me an answer. We like to live in a black and white world. Many of us do. And then without rules, you know, things would be chaos in this world. I mean, a good quick example is I, I lived in South America for almost a year, and a very simple thing like stopping at a stoplight we take for granted here. You know, it's red, we stop, it's green, we go. First thing the missionaries told me, they said, you come to a stoplight, slow down, have a look. I can guarantee you the next guy's not looking or zooming through. And sure enough, I mean, people just, the light, they might as well have just taken the lights out of town. You know, it's just, everybody's just sh -sh 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 everywhere. And it gave me a whole new appreciation for the reason for rules. But what do we do when the Bible's not clear on an issue? It doesn't offer like a really clear answer. There's many things uh, that the Bible's not really specifically clear on. Another good example that I want to bring from, from Brazil, um, the use of alcohol. You know, we have various opinions on, on whether Christians should, uh, you know, use alcohol or partake in alcohol. The Bible's very clear about drunkenness, but does it say to abstain? But when I was in Brazil, one of the first things that the missionaries told me there, they said, we have a rule here that alcohol is 100% out of the question. And I quickly started to see the reasons why. There was such um, an abuse of alcohol. It, was such a, a, it would have been such a poor testimony for any Christian to, to flaunt that liberty. And I followed that. Is it easy? It's easier, or the answer actually, um, the easy answer is simply proclaim a rule and insist it be followed. But is this the right approach? And I, I want to think about um, how we raise our children for a second and, and what works there. When they're young, we, we build fences around the backyard to keep them in from wandering out. We, we tell them, don't touch this and don't do this. And we, we are very emphatic about what we want them to do without explanations. But as they grow older, does that work? You know, they start to learn how to climb fences and get over the fence and start, you know, running across the road. And if we, at that, by then, have not taught them the dangers of the road, there's going to be a big problem. Do we simply proclaim a rule and insist it be followed as a normal course of action? And when we do that, are we building up wise, discerning, spirit-led Christians, or are we producing weak Christians that are unable to make choices without official approval? You know, I, I, I've seen that apply to my own life, where I was in situations where I was not prepared to deal with the challenges. And, and I can only look back and say, I didn't have the spiritual grounding that I needed in that situation. There's some, some other examples uh, in the New Testament that, that Paul gives us, and, and I like uh, the form that Brother Doug gave about the role of the law and its role in our, in our Christian lives today. And it, it bring out a, a very good parallel to this today. The conclusion of Brother Doug's form was, we are not under the law the Mosaic Law. But yet, there was a few examples, in particular the one that stood out to me was where, where Paul in one instance openly condemned 
the Christians, uh, the Jewish Christians that were requiring circumcision for new believers. And by doing so, they were hindering the spread of the gospel and putting a yoke on these Christians that were not required for salvation. The verse is, Now therefore, why tempt ye God and put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But yet, another situation that Doug, Brother Doug pointed out was with Timothy, there was another scenario where he said, you know what, I know that these people are not going to listen to you unless you're circumcised. We better circumcise you. So do we have a contradiction in laws or rules? No, we have the Holy Spirit dictating what's right in that situation. Do we spend too much time on the minor things and miss the major things? Majoring on the minors. And I think this is big. I think we, the enemy wants us to be so consumed with the little things that we just don't have time to deal with what God really wants us to do. Jesus had strong words for those who promoted legalistic tendencies and doctrines. In Matthew 23, 23 and 24, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe, mint, amethyst, and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought ye to have done, and not leave the others undone. The unfortunate reality is, is, is some of God's people focus on external things to the point that they are, feel self-righteous, holier than now, and often look down on others who do not share their point of view. And I don't want you to think that this is just uh, somebody who is more um, open looking at somebody conservative. It, this goes both ways. You know, I can uh, look into my own heart and I see situations where I've, I've judged people by their legalistic tendencies or their choice in dress, you know, or their, their way that they, the type of music they listen to. And I think, how narrow-minded are they? They must be so um, unspiritual to not have that liberty. And, and, and through this research and I've done this form and God has really convicted me that that is wrong. And it's also wrong for somebody who has the faith to, to wear something more conservative to feel like somebody who doesn't uh, wear or listen to this type of music to judge them as well. And again, I don't want to delve off into those issues uh, and start talking about them specifically. What I'm trying to point out is, is when we judge each other in some of these gray areas, that's exactly where the enemy wants us. Should we be willing to live in, a biblical, in biblical tension? And, and what do I mean by this? You know, it's exactly that. Is there, is there a case for us to be willing to coexist with, with those that don't exactly look at things the same as we do? There's, there's good reason to. That tension existed in the early church. I mean, go through the New Testament. You know, the, the apostles, they were, you know, very at odds with each other about some of these issues. And yet their focus continued to turn on the important things, the things that God wanted them to, 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 um, uh, to concentrate on, building up faith in the church, bringing the message of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. Often the legalist is blind to the weightier matter of the scripture because they focus on externals. The Apostle Paul cautioned, about this, and he said, building a strong faith is one of the, those weightier matters, and are faith levels in our lives falling? 
I know they are uh, in my life. I can attest to that. Uh, my opinion is I think they are in the church. I think there's evidence of that. And, and, and this is maybe very personal, but I'm going to put this out uh, there, is sometimes I'm in, in morning services, and, and this is the service in church that, that some people, it's the only service they attend. And it's what I would consider the most important service, but I find myself going through those services in a very rote and repetitious manner. You know, reach for the songbook at the right time, and, and, I, and we know when the prayer is coming, and, and you know what I'm talking about. And I think, where is that testimony of God's power to build our faith? It's lacking sometimes in that rote, repetitious religious activity that we have, and including... And I, and I challenge you, elders and ministers and leaders, to think this through. Again, I'm, I'm putting this out there. This is my personal opinion. But I, I sat in class, in, in our morning class yesterday, and two brothers in that class shared a very, very personal testimonies. Unprompted. I know they didn't plan it. It led, prompted by the Holy Spirit, I'm sure of it. But those personal testimonies spoke deeper to me than, than any of the sermons I've heard here this week. And it just those particular things spoke to my heart in a powerful, powerful way. And when we find ourselves being so confined to just, let's do it the way we've always done it. You know, I think we need something. I'm not saying we need to open up our morning services to have some new show every morning and something flamboyant. I, I don't know what the answers are on that, but... And I know that part of, of, of me not getting something out of morning services is, is 99% me. I need to empty myself in order to be filled. But we need to interject some way of, of building God's people through faith-building testimonies or something else, something, something more. But, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately when we allow rules to, to be our guide all the time and following them, there's an element of, of trying to be saved by rules and not by grace. And this is where I want to turn it over to Fred. He's going he's gonna to talk a little bit about uh, the difference uh, there and how grace applies. Thanks, Dan. What's the answers? What is God saying to the church at Galatia? What's he saying to us when we've drifted into a mechanical, rule-based uh, religion at times. I don't believe we're always there. I believe that there are times when we are led by the Spirit. But uh, I believe that this verse can apply to us. Christ is become of none effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. We touched on it. We want to look at the New Testament church that was deceived by legalism a little deeper. In Galatians 3, 1 to 2, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set before you, crucified among you? This only would I learn of you, received you, Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What Paul is saying is, did you get saved by the law? Did you receive the Holy Spirit 
that gift by following the law? Or was it by faith? Many of us are concerned about the moral decay, the permissiveness in our society. We're seeing a progression, often in society, that drifts into the church of uh, more and more anything-goes kind of uh, thinking or permissiveness. And, and often the, the tendency might be to react to that, we've got to strengthen the rules, tighten them up. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe we should have a, a book, a code book of what you can wear and what, where you can go and all kinds of things. If we believe that that's the answer, what have we just done? We've short-circuited the role of the Holy Spirit in God's power. Paul writes, uh, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the The scriptural answer to a lot of things is walking close with God. The Holy Spirit empowers the believer for victorious living. A law or a rule in and of itself does not have the power to change anybody. You can preach it, enforce it, but is the heart changed alone? And and we need to obviously look at what the scripture teaches in a lot of areas, and we're not advocating no rules. But is strengthening the position alone going to cause a person to have a transformation and follow it? We know that the answer is no. And the enemy loves it when rules in a religious system become people's God, so to speak. Become what they follow more than a living God and a personal relationship with Jesus. A personal relationship with God. It resorts back to the mosaic kind of law or the the system that Jesus saw was crushing men. But we want to pursue holiness. We want to be more and more perfected to live a righteous life. And there's misconceptions that can happen. We have the misconception that following the rules and going through all the right motions at times can make us good Christians. This somehow makes us holy and keeps us saved as the lie of the enemy. And of course, doing things right is important, and following principles in Scripture is important, but if we'd follow it to the letter without our heart matching it, did that really make us holy? If we said the right things, wore the right things, but our heart was far from it. Rules-only Christian living omits the importance of a personal relationship with God and the role of the Holy Spirit in every circumstance. And we want to go deeper now into the role of the Holy Spirit daily when we would have quiet times with God and we spend time with Him alone and He gives us thoughts for the day, the Father's heart, and we begin to join Him in what He wants for us today. And we begin to see that As we get close to God, we're not going to want to do a lot of the things that, yes, a rule could be the tool to stop us from doing it, but we're going to want to choose to live within the boundaries of the principles that God set because we're drawing close to the Lord. 
Legalism is based on laws. Holiness is based on the gift of God's grace. He saved us. He redeemed us. He made us a new creature. And now we can walk in a walk of faith that brings about the sanctification and the holiness. The process of making us holy is what sanctification, of course, is all about. But are we letting that process happen? Are we letting the Holy Spirit's personal role in a personal relationship with Jesus make us more and more like Jesus? Make us the holiness that God wants? The legalistic tendency is the attempt to be accepted before God by the things that we do. A focus on the things that we do for approval. The emphasis is on the exterior rather than what's going on in our heart. And we can fool a lot of people because they don't know, maybe even right now, that the heart could be many miles away. And it looks like the attendance of a forum, the required star is done, but somebody's heart this morning here could be at work, could be about something else, an interest, and not in the interest in God's word. Legalism speaks much of manifestation that others can see, but little of motivation that's going on in the heart. We want to summarize. Before Dan has a closing prayer, there's two slides left, uh, this one and one more. And then we, I believe, need to open up some time for questions and answers. Uh, there's, in a forum like this, so many areas where this can apply. And if we just leave it at the theory and we don't get to the application layer, we miss some things that are very important. So Paul, after addressing the Galatians and saying, you know, who bewitched you that you went away from uh, a life-transforming experience, you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're a new creature in Christ, There's joy in your heart, and now you're going back to the law. And you think that that's how you got saved. And and in keeping the law is how you stay saved. Who bewitched you? You should be in a life of the Spirit. You should have the joy of the Lord radiating from your heart. The fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. That should be... Just flowing out of you, meekness, temperance. We can't make up a law for this. Against such, there's no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lusts. They've died to self by God's power and His grace. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Let's not walk by codes of men or walk in fear. Sorry, there's actually two more slides. There is a song that God pointed out to me several years ago that is the the pursuit of holiness in a practical level that I believe all of us, if we stop when we sing this next time, And really think about the words and the Holy Spirit that stirred an author and a songwriter many years ago to write this. 
Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. Another songwriter said, Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? Did you go to God? Did you ask him for this day at camp? Did you walk along the way and talk to him about who you're supposed to be connecting with today? Did you intercede for somebody this morning or last night as you walked by the way? What about last week? What about this coming week? Is there a burden on your heart for lost souls? Is there a burden on your heart for struggling believers? That's the pursuit of holiness. That's allowing the Holy Spirit to work. Abide in Him always. Feed on His Word. Is the Word something that enters your heart and the Holy Spirit can use it as a weapon? Thy Word is, has, have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against Thee? You know, there are so many powerful things that having the Word fill us will give us victory over the things that some might want to make laws for. Abide in Him. Have a quiet time. Hunger for that quiet time. Have a devotional reading where there's some scripture that you can read for the day. And that'll give you the power to live a victorious life and give thoughts for the needs around you. Here's another big one. Make friends of God's children. Help those who are weak. Do we have a compassion for helping others? There's been so many seasons in my life where I saw the world crowd around. And the pressures of business and earning money crowded my day or my week. And meanwhile, there's a lot of needs all over the place. And the Holy Spirit wants us to be used by Him. He wants to say, call so-and-so. You know, this person needs a friend. You haven't connected with that person. Why don't you be that friend? Help those that are weak. You know, there's, there's people right now in your church, in my church, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, that need your help. Are we thinking about that? Are we allowing that to be something in our minds, in our hearts, as a pursuit of holiness? Or do we feel that, you know what, I'm a pretty good Christian. I got the top ten down pat. And one day, I don't think that I can be called on any major violations. But Jesus said, lift up your heads. Look out there. The fields are white for harvest and the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. That's an instruction in scripture. What's the emphasis of that one? Forgetting in nothing his likeness to seek. A true desire to be like Jesus. This week is about asking God's glory to be revealed to us. Praying prayers like, Lord, make me like Jesus. Show me more and more of your glory and your power. Fill me with your spirit that I can see you're alive in our time, that I can have the power to, to be a witness to the lost. And as we do that, as we invite him to touch us more and more, we will change. Our hearts will see 
the world the way Jesus sees it. And we won't drift into automatic pilot dangers of rote religious behavior. We will begin to see the world the way Jesus sees it. And we will see amazing things starting to happen. Right now I have a burden for our churches. I want to echo something that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart about that Dan touched on briefly. When he said, where's the faith-building activities that our churches really need right now at this hour? Storm clouds are brewing over Europe and most of the world. Eastern Europe is still floundering from all of the upheaval there. The Middle East, so much signs of unrest there. Europe that used to think that it had it together with uh, the unification of the euro is buckling under a debt crisis that is, the contagion is spreading. And I believe that coming soon, we will see a need for faith like never before. We need some changes in our morning format for testimonies. Perhaps, would a brother have an announcement or a greeting or a word of testimony? And that the Holy Spirit can prompt in the heart's of God's people, something that happened that week that can touch a life and transform it. And if we're not making room for the Holy Spirit in that way, some of our churches will close their doors because the power of God is not testified of. Show me thy glory has to be testified of when he shows up. And I believe that there is a call on all of us to, to go home with a focus on the weightier matters. The hallmark of a spiritual believer is one who loves God with all her heart, his or her heart, soul, and mind. Is one that has an active prayer life, especially in private places where no one sees. It's the evidence of someone who is truly Christ-like is a zeal to build up the body of believers and to win the lost and souls to salvation. Our twofold aim should be to build up the believers and to seek and to save those that are lost and bring them to Christ. Let's do spiritual inventory. Are we doing that? Or are we going through the motions at times of religious behavior? I'd like to turn it over to my brother Dan. couple um, a few closing thoughts we do have some time so I as Fred said I, I am open to just having some discussion and answering some questions that that I may or may not be able to answer I can give you my perspective there are ministers and elders here as well that we can get into some discussion but a few a few closing thoughts um, that that kind of wrap this up for me I struggled for a long time uh, Lydia and I together actually as a family about our church and, and what it is and what it is not. And, and it was a long battle, you know, I, and, and openly I can tell you that there were times we thought, do we really belong here? And a lot of those struggles were, had much to do with this, this topic. 
you know, struggling with, with having seen things done differently elsewhere, and why are we not like that? And God subtly showed me, showed us as a couple, that there's a lot of things in our church and in our denomination to be thankful for, and that, that gave us a real strong burden, that this is where we belong. It was the work of the enemy. I know that we don't live in a perfect church and there's a lot of things that God wants us to change. But for those of you that are struggling with that, I'm here to tell you I've been there. Uh, I've been exposed to other churches. I've, I've, I've you know, worked in Brazil for a year and the churches have a completely different look and feel to the churches that we have here in North America. And I, and I came back thinking, you know, why are we not like that? Or why don't we put more emphasis? And God showed me that that's not his plan for us. I think we have to be very careful how judgmental we are about what we are not. You know, for you young people that, um, that are stifled and, and, uh, and feel like the, the rules are boxing you in, as Fred mentioned here a few times, is if you start to concentrate on what God wants you to do and concentrate on the Holy Spirit leading you to, to the works that he wants you to do, a lot of this little stuff just becomes of no consequence. You know, I, I struggle, though, with, with the very evident um, burden that we put on each other sometimes. You know, I've, I've seen um, people treat each other in the church in a way that is so unchristlike because of these legalistic issues where an unbeliever comes into the church and, and is condemned because they're wearing pants, having been there for the first time, having never known that that was them. And you know what? I truly believe the person who did that, and I'm talking about a true story that I'm sure you have many more of the same, but they did it probably with a, a, a heartfelt conviction that that was the right thing but they did exactly what Jesus condemned. They said, he said, you strain at a gnat and you swallow a camel, or you, you omitted the weightier matters. Draw them in with your love. They're going to see that that's not our order. We don't have to tell them. We don't have to drive it down their throats. And I have a burden for those who feel bombarded by things that come from others, even from the pulpit sometimes, that, that tear away at at the decisions that they've made, the, the, the uh, emphasis that they've put on, possibly with respect to dress or, or music or a whole pile of other issues that the Bible is not clear on, and we put that weight on each other and say, you're wrong, I'm right. And Satan would have nothing more than to see us just fight about those things and, and be busy with those things, have that fill our day rather than the weightier matters that we talked about here today. Um, I'd like to open it up uh, for some comments. We have probably 10 minutes that, that, we, can, that we can discuss. And, and, I, and again, I want to avoid digging into issues here this morning. I think that would be unproductive. But if somebody has a testimony or a thought that the Lord is laying on their hearts, um, please either speak very loud or come up to the front. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, it's funny that this uh, topic comes today because it follows on the heels of a conversation that I had with a sister yesterday. And as I was sharing a personal experience that I had gone through a few years ago, um, and it was, um, I was sharing with her how God spoke very, very clearly to me uh, through a Bible verse in First Corinthians chapter seven. And, um, and basically, the, the message in the Bible verse was, um, don't church shop. Uh, God has placed you in a church for a reason. And he wants to be allowed to work through you in the church that he has placed you in. And when I read that verse, and now obviously I'm paraphrasing, but it was in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, who are we to question, question God's wisdom? So my advice to people who may be experiencing similar situations, when you have that little negative list, that little list that you're going of all the reasons of why you don't like the church, my advice is to start compiling a positive list. And you'll find that it is much longer than the negative list. Anyone else? I would just like to share what uh, Fred had mentioned when there's time for uh, greetings and announcements. There's often things, you know, greetings from its own place and, uh, you know, uh, singing this afternoon will be at this time. But when someone gets up and says um, a testimony of thanks and expresses how God's worked in their life, and it's not very long, but um, maybe they've gone through an illness or and they felt the love and support of the church, um, for me personally, it's a real blessing. I feel that uh, it just binds us all together. And I would just like to encourage more people, if God has blessed you during the week, take advantage of that opportunity to share just briefly. Uh, it doesn't have to be long. And um, others appreciate it. It's, um, it's a wonderful opportunity. Not ma in many other denominations, they don't have this liberty. And uh, we should take advantage of that liberty. So uh, I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Someone over there. I think um, another tension in our church is just like the the lack of communication between the youth and, and the older people. I think, um, I know when I, when I put down my barriers and I start actually having dialogue with um, people that I might think I disagree with, whatever, and really talk about testimonies of how, of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, and I hear their own testimonies of the Holy Spirit's work in their life, I, um, a lot of that tension is dissolved. So I think if, like, we all, I think just something practical, if we all make more of an effort to have dialogue, um, yeah, of, of youth talking to people that are older and, and vice versa, that would dissolve a lot of stupid tension that's there. And um, yeah, I really encourage everybody to um, be excited about living in the Holy Spirit and, and the work that um, the Holy Spirit's doing. And that was very good. I, I can attest to that. Having fallen to victim of that same mindset where, where I have a, an impression of somebody as to what they're like, or a couple, or a family, and then having spent some time with them, a lot of that melting away. It's uh, another tool of the enemy to just 
to build misconceptions into our minds. So we need to find time to force ourselves to fellowship. Um, I've been always kind of watching. If you have about 100 people, you have 100 opinions. Now, how do you put them all together and make one unit function and observe the, the, you know, what the Bible teaches us so we can all live together and not live by laws or whatever? But there still has to be some rules because maybe it's not your opinion, but we have to make one unit work where we all belong to. I agree. I, I think there's a strong need for order and, and being willing to follow rules. And, and, I, and I think Fred reiterated that earlier, that we're not advocating that. I'm not. That's never been my opinion. There's a need for order in the church. Lots of hands here. I'm not sure who was first. Well, I just wanted to say I think it's important um, when someone who perhaps has a different does something maybe that we can't believe they did or whatever. I don't know. Um, we are brothers and sisters, and when we see something, rather than thinking the worst of our brother and sister, if we think of them that, as our brother and sister in love, and not think that they did that, and perhaps give them the opportunity, talk to them, whatever, perhaps we will find out it's not what we thought. But I think we're very quick to judge in a, in a bad way as opposed to, you know, we are a family. If, if one of my brothers or sisters does something to me, I don't immediately think they hate me and they have it out for me. I know they love me and I, I, I ask them, you know, well, wait a sec, why'd you do that? So we are a family and we need to think of ourselves as a family and not jump to conclusions thinking the worst. I'm just going to do a translation according to Bob here. Uh, but in, um, in Acts, the Apostle Paul says, you know, to, to everybody I became as they were to win them over. Um, and his focus was on the lost. And then at the same time in Acts chapter 21, uh, when the church leaders asked him to actually purify himself according to Jewish customs so that, that people wouldn't think that he was really off the wall, he did. Um, his focus was the lost. His focus was really winning people to Christ and you know it's, it seems that when when our focus becomes ourselves rules take on a much higher priority and they become much more of an issue um, rather than than really being irrelevant it's a Paul it was like whatever uh, rather than this is a big deal in most cases because his focus was some was was on the right place and I just want to encourage all of us to keep our focus on Jesus Christ to keep our focus on on winning the lost and not on is this irritating me because of something I want to do or not want to do? Amen. And, and Paul was a man that was all about the law. Before he met Christ on, on the road to Damascus, he was all about the law. And here he, he put that behind him and, and put the emphasis where it belonged. I think we have room for maybe one more comment. Was there someone I missed? I like readers, one of you brothers, Fred, to read a couple of verses in the scripture and uh, just comment a little bit on it. Uh, Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 
2, verse 15, and then uh, third chapter, verse 6. Well, Fred's finding that. Somebody else? Did I miss somebody else uh, comment? Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he has received of us. It's a good to balance this out, because these are important principles as well. What we're not advocating is throwing out the, all the traditions of the church. Certainly not. There's many, many traditions that are biblical, patterns that are set that are healthy, and the Holy Spirit will want to line us up with those things that are healthy. If there's a pattern that is not healthy, the Holy Spirit wants to course correct a particular new tradition that might be in existence for 50 years, might not have existed in the early church, might have been put in place at some point to be helpful for a season. That tradition could be very helpful. And then that tradition might not apply but the biblical principles that are early church, early Christianity, we don't have the liberty to throw those out. Let's be very clear with this forum this morning. On, uh, We're not uh, advocating to take any verse and say we want to change that. Um, what we're talking about is some of the practices, perhaps, that can quench the Holy Spirit and, and not biblical doctrinal positions. When we started talking about the Bible translations, one thing I want to, uh, that's laid on my spirit is, if it weren't for, in the spirit of love, questioning and working together some of the laws and rituals and reviewing them, we today would all still be Catholics. There would be no Anabaptist faith. We would have all of the rituals, all of the papacy, all of the all of the things that when our forefathers in this church reviewed all of it and said, let's lay aside the legal matters and the law and look at a spirit-filled church. And that's how all of us ended up here today. I'll make this our last comment. I just want to comment on the, that last two verses in Thessalonians. I, I did a, quite an um, extensive study on this because a question came up in our Ontario Ministers' Conferences. If you read that, it says that remember to keep the tradition whether you re received verbally or through letter. So the only clue that we can get is really through the letter. And if you look through the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul did not talk about things like, you know, the format of your services. He didn't talk about whether you should wear you know, black shoes or 
white shirt shirts. He talked about uh, orderly living, sanctified living. Okay, and when someone was walking disorderly, he was walking uh, close to um, the border of of um, indecency or or um, being. Uh, one example given there in Second Thessalonians three actually is those that refused to work, that were lazy, they wouldn't eat work for their food. But he's not talking about an agreed upon church order. There is a place for that. And the place for that is to do everything decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14. And that's something that the local congregation should have agreement on. But we shouldn't use that verse in 2 Thessalonians 2.15 and say, because we need, need to keep the traditions of our fathers, that no, none of our church practices should change. And we've evidenced that over and over again. They have changed. But that is not the flagship verse to say our tradition shouldn't change. I just want to make that clear. Thank you. Okay, let's... Uh, still on. Okay, let's, let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we count it such a privilege to be here this morning and to allow your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we recognize that, that the words that have been said are, are, are from a man and, and they are quite often tainted by, by man's, man's ideas. And we just pray that you would continue to work in all of our hearts here throughout the remainder of this day, the remainder of this week, that you would convict us for the areas of our lives that need to change. You've pointed out things out of your word here today. You've showed us how displeased you can be with us just going through rote and, and religious activity. You condemn that openly in your word, and we pray that we would not fall victim to that, not just individually in our own personal lives but also as a church and we pray that you'd forgive us lord for where where we have not been obedient to your leading and guiding in the past open our hearts to recognize the changes that you want to see and open our eyes to recognize what needs to stay the same and what what good traditions are there and good practices are there that we need to stand fast and keep lord we just praise you and thank you in advance for providing that for us we Thank you so much for this time together. We pray that you would continue to bless this day all those who are involved in teaching, and preaching, and bringing forth your word and ministering in song and, and in word. Lord, we just pray that you would minister to them now in this day and that you would continue to, to plow up the fallow ground of, of each and every heart here at, at camp, that you would prepare the soil of each heart to receive the seeds that you want to sow in their hearts in this week. Lord, we, we all have things that need to change, and we want those seeds to spring up into fruit for you today, tomorrow, and in the coming weeks and in our coming lives as we, as we get back to our day-to-day our -day and week-to-week -week duties. Lord, we just pray that you would allow the seeds that you're sowing here at camp to flourish into fruit for you. Again, we thank you. We praise you for this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>